Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hi, I'm Lisa Lutz. I am the author of The Spellman Files, Curse of the Spellmans and Revenge of the Spellmans, a series of comedic novels about a family of private investigators told from the perspective of 32-year-old Isabel Spellman. I would also like to mention that while I'm reading from the third book, Revenge of the Spellmans, I do think these novels should be read in order. So start with the first, The Spellman Files. In this passage, all you need to know is that Isabel is in court-ordered therapy for some trouble she got herself into a while back, and she's taking a break from detective work and bartending for a while. Here we meet most of the major players in her life. The Philosopher's Club. Tuesday. An unknown male, approximately 55 years old, with an almost full head of gray hair, a slight build, an even slighter punch, and a weathered but friendly face, garbed in a snappy suit and not unpleasant tie, walked into the bar. He sat down at the counter and nodded a silent hello. "'What can I get you?' I said. "'Coffee,' unknown male replied." Irish coffee? I asked. Nope, just the regular stuff. You know they got coffee shops if you're into that sort of thing. It's three in the afternoon, unknown male replied. It's still a bar, I responded, and poured a mug of the stale brew. Cream and sugar, I asked. Black, he answered. Unknown male took a sip and grimaced. He pushed the mug back in my direction and said, Cream and sugar. Thought so. Unknown male put a $5 bill on the bar and told me to keep the change. I rang $2 into the cash register and put the remaining three into the tip jar. You, Isabel? Unknown male asked. Who's asking? I replied. Ernest Black, the less unknown male said, stretching out his hand. My friends call me Ernie. I shook it because that's what you do, and then picked up a dish rag and began drying some glasses because that's what bartenders do. I heard you used to be a detective, Ernie said. Where'd you hear that? I was in here the other day talking to Milo. You and Milo friends, I asked. We're not enemies. Anyway, Milo said you used to be a detective. Private investigator, I corrected him and dried some more glasses. There was a long pause while Ernie tried to figure out how to keep the conversation going. It looks like you're a bartender now, Ernie said. So it seems... Is this like a career path or more like a rest stop on a longer journey, he asked. Huh, I said, even though I understood what Ernie was getting at. I'm just wondering, are you planning on doing this bartender thing long term, or do you think you might go back into the P.I. business somewhere down the line? I casually put down the glass and the dish rag. I reached over the bar and grabbed Ernie by the not-unpleasant tie he was wearing and leaned in close enough to smell his stale coffee breath. Tell my mother that if she wants to know my plans for the future, she should ask me herself. Wednesday. My dad walked into the bar. Albert Spellman is his name. I'd been expecting him. Three o'clock on Wednesday is his usual time. He likes an empty bar so he can speak freely. The usual, Dad said, mostly because he likes feeling like a regular. Dad's usual is a five-ounce glass of red wine. He'd rather order a beer or whiskey or both, but his heart condition and my mother prohibit all of the above. 
I poured the wine, slid the glass in his direction, leaned on top of the bar, and looked at my dad in the eye. Mom sent some guy into the bar yesterday to pump me for information. No, she didn't, Dad said, looking bored. Yes, she did, I replied. Isabel, she did that one time two months ago, and she never did it again, I promise you. You have no idea what she's doing when you're not watching her. You could say that about anyone, Dad said. But I'm talking about Mom. I'd like to change the subject, Isabel. I sighed, disappointed. I was not interested in the subject my dad had in mind. If you'd like to talk about the weather, I'd be all right with that. Not the weather, said Dad. Seen any good movies lately? I asked. Haven't been getting out much lately, Dad said. What with work and all? Oh, yes, work. That's what I'd like to talk about. I don't want to talk about work. You don't talk. You just listen. Can you do that? I distinctly recall you telling me I wasn't a good listener, I replied. So apparently I cannot do that. Isabel, Dad said far too loudly, but who cares in an empty bar. We are having this conversation, whether you like it or not. In case you were thinking the definition had changed, a conversation usually involves two people exchanging words, a back and forth, if you will. My dad provided a brief lecture that went something like this. You are a licensed private investigator. That is your trade. And yet for the last five months, all you have done is serve drinks and collect tips. You have refused to work at a job for which you are highly qualified, which used to give you some real purpose in life. I spent seven long, hard years training you at that job, teaching you everything I know while you talked back, nodded off, screwed up, broke equipment, slammed my hand in the car door, lost me clients, and cost me a fortune in car insurance. Seven long years, Isabel. I can't get those years back. They're lost to me forever. Do you know how much more pleasant it would have been to have hired a nice, responsible college student looking for a little excitement in his or her life? Someone who didn't insult my intelligence on a daily basis, or leave cigarette butts and empty beer cans in the surveillance van. Someone who said, yes, Mr. Spellman, instead of rolling her eyes and grunting. Can you imagine how my life might be different? How my health might be improved? Five months ago when you took this temporary job, you promised your mother and me that you would start actively thinking about your future which is directly connected to our future, because it's connected to the future of this business we have built not just for us, but for you. So, tell me, Isabel, after five months of serving drinks and over two months of seeing a shrink, are you any closer to making that decision? I'm not usually one who follows the adage, honesty is the best policy, but my dad's speech exhausted even me, and so I decided to go with a very short truth. Nope, I said. Dad sucked the last drop of alcohol out of his wine glass. He searched the empty bar as if he were looking for assistance. He made brief eye contact, but he couldn't hold it. The disappointment was evident. Even I felt some sympathy. Sounds like you could use a real drink, Dad, I said as I poured him a shot of Maker's Mark. This will be our little secret. Saturday, 1400 hours. A lawyer walked into the bar. Sorry, there's no joke there. It was my brother David, sporting three-day-old stubble and casual attire, cargo pants, sneakers, and a Guinness is Good For You t-shirt, which I'm almost positive was mine. My point is David's ensemble was in direct conflict with his usual dress code. It was as if he were wearing a costume for someone planning a day at the park, 
Instead of ordering what was advertised on his shirt, David asked for a Bloody Mary, just to make me work. I added extra Tabasco and pepper, just to make him suffer. Why are you drinking on a Saturday afternoon, I asked. My vacation starts today. Some vacation, I replied, scanning the surroundings for emphasis. I leave for Europe on Monday. For how long? Four weeks. Nobody tells me anything, I said. It's a last-minute thing, David replied. You traveling alone, I asked. No, David said in a way that indicated the discussion was over. I, of course, did not agree to the inexplicit request. So, who are you traveling with? Familiar with my questioning tactics, David stayed his course. I was thinking I should have someone watch my place while I'm gone, and since you live in a dump, I figured I wouldn't have to pay you. Not that you couldn't afford to. My brother handed me an envelope, leaned across the bar, and kissed me on the cheek. The key and instructions are in there. I leave for the airport at around 10 a.m. on Monday. Don't enter the premises until at least 10.30 in case I'm running late. I will return exactly four weeks later in the afternoon, so make yourself scarce by noon of the third Monday from this Monday. Got it? Don't you want me to hang around so you can bore me with all your travel photos? Not really, David replied. Now behave while I'm gone, he said, raising a stern eyebrow. Then he left. I cracked the envelope the second David exited the bar. As promised, it contained a key and a typewritten sheet of paper. Rules for Isabel while staying in my home. Do. Take in the mail every day. Take out the trash when the bag is full. Put garbage bins on the sidewalk Thursday evening. Reduce, reuse, and recycle. Try to make this world a better place. Sleep in the guest room. Sophia cleans on Tuesday, tidy up before she comes. Water all indoor plants. There are instructions next to each plant. Do not... Mess with the sprinkler system. It's on a timer. Add porn sites to the favorites list on my computer. Use my electric toothbrush. I don't care if you buy a new head. Throw any parties. Sleep in my bed. Move any furniture. Drink any of the following booze. Johnny Walker Black Label, Glenn Livet 18 Year, Grey Goose Vodka, Remy Martin VSOP. After I recovered from the insult of the list, I phoned David to clarify a few matters. Did you forget to include your itinerary? I asked. No, David replied. I'm not sure where I'll be. How will I reach you if there's an emergency? Just call my cell phone. I hung up the phone without any more answers than when I started. There was only one thing I could say for certain. David was lying to me. About what? I couldn't say. As I contemplated my brother's suspicious behavior, the afternoon regulars began to arrive. Clarence Gillies strode in shortly after four. He pretends he's on a schedule when it comes to drinking. Four o'clock is his start time, and if he shows up any time after that, he says, Sorry I'm late. It won't happen again. I like Clarence. He tips well, tells me a single joke each visit, and then he remains silent, studying the sports section of the Chronicle for the next four hours. Saturday's Joke an amnesiac walks into a bar. He asks, Do I come here often? 1,700 hours. Mom walked into the bar. Whatever my father lacks in good looks, my mother makes up for it. Mom is petite and elegant with long auburn hair that comes straight out of a bottle. From a distance, she appears younger than her age. In fact, Clarence whistled when my mom entered the bar. 
although I can't say for sure that he was responding to her or not some alarming news from the world of sports. Like my father's, Mom's casual visits to the Philosopher's Club were thinly veiled interrogations. To my parents' credit, though, they managed to mix things up just a bit. This is a close approximation of my conversation with my mother that day. Isabel, what can I get you? Olivia, a daughter with a purpose in life. Isabel, sorry, we're all out. What's your second choice? Olivia, I can't decide between a club soda and a real drink. Isabel, I'd prefer you had a real drink. Olivia, fine, I'll have a gimlet. Isabel, but just one drink, then I'd like you to be on your way. Olivia, I'll leave when my business here is done. The drink is served, the patron takes a sip and grimaces. Olivia, it needs more booze. Isabel, when I serve it to you with more booze, you say it needs more lime juice. Has it occurred to you that you just don't like gimlets? Olivia, I used to love them. Isabel, sometimes we need to accept change. Olivia, is that what you're getting out of therapy? Learning to embrace your inner bartender? Isabel, I'm just doing my time, Mom. That's all. Olivia, tell me something. Do you talk about me with Dr. Ira? Isabel, we talk about everyone in my life at one time or another. It's possible I haven't mentioned Bernie yet, but I'm sure it will happen eventually. Olivia, are you blaming me for all of your troubles? Isabel, no, actually, I've been blaming David. Olivia, fair enough. Mother-slash-patron crinkles nose when she takes a sip of her gimlet. Daughter-slash-bartender sprays an ounce of club soda into her drink. Isabel, try it now. Olivia, that's much better. How do I order it if I need to? Isabel, you don't, but if you have to, call it a gimlet watered down with soda. Olivia, very nice. Isabel, so I'll trade you one honest answer for one in return. Olivia, agreed. Isabel, did you send some guy into the bar on Tuesday to drill me for information? Olivia, I did that once two months ago. Will you let it die already? Isabel, so that's a no. Olivia, yes, it's a no. My turn? Isabel, shoot. Olivia, are you dating anyone right now? Long pause. Isabel, no one to speak of. Olivia, what are you hiding? Another significant pause. Isabel, Milo and I hooked up a few weeks ago. It's been awkward ever since. Olivia, that's so gross, it's not even funny. Isabel, yeah, you're right. I thought it might be funny, but when I said it, I just felt nauseous. Olivia, in what direction are you heading, Isabel? Isabel, nowhere at the moment. Sunday. Milo walked into the bar, which isn't all that unusual, what with it being his bar and all. I usually cover my afternoon shifts solo, so Milo has more time off, but Sunday afternoon we always work together and take stock of the inventory. I've known Milo going on ten years now. He's been my employer only five months of those. Bar owners' expectations differ from other employers. Show up on time, don't steal, make the right change, and don't be too generous with the booze. Most nights I'm at least three for four. 
While I cleaned glasses, Milo did the San Francisco Chronicle's crossword puzzle, which he considered to be some form of actual work. Something about keeping his mind sharp being good for business. Don't quote me. I wasn't paying attention. What's a four-letter word for a lunch staple? Beer, I replied, because how is Milo staying sharp by asking me to do his crossword puzzles for him? That's not it. It has to be something you eat. Fish. It's not fish. Fish isn't a lunch staple in any place I know. I still think it's fish. Soup, Milo shouted, as if it were another four-letter word. Congratulations, I said. Frankly, I was happy to know he could get at least one clue in the puzzle. Another minute passed in peaceful silence, but then it was over. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, Milo said as he hung his coat on a rack behind the bar. Fascinating story. Give it time, it gets better. And then what happened? I asked with rapt interest. He was telling me about this time he went to a bar and was making casual conversation with the bartender, and the next thing he knows, the bartender, for no good reason, tries to strangle him with his own tie and accuses him of having some kind of a, a conspiratorial relationship with her own mother. I'm sure he's recovered by now. Not completely. There are a few lingering side effects. For instance, I asked, playing along. He's got a closet full of ties, a regular clothes horse, this one, and yet he's afraid to wear all of them. Used to be a signature look. Now he's got to figure out a whole new thing. Tragic story. Is. He don't know your mother. We were conversing the other day. He has a situation. He needs a detective. He'd rather not pay an arm and a leg like your parents charge. So I mentioned you might be able to help him out. I have a job, Milo. This isn't a career, is he? For you it is. Milo tossed his newspaper on top of the bar and sighed dramatically. I'm cutting your hours to three days a week. It's time for you to get back in the game or find an entirely new game that doesn't involve serving booze. How much are my parents paying you? Nada. I don't approve of your random use of Spanish. Ernie's going to drop by again today. He's going to tell you about his problem and you're going to offer him your services. You'll both negotiate a reasonable price. You'll do a good job for my friend. And if I don't want to? I'll trim your hours some more. 1,800 hours. As promised, Ernie Black returned to the bar. His problem was the kind of problem you hear about all the time, at least in my line of work or my previous line of work. Scratch that. In every line of work I've known, the suspicious wife or husband comes up often. At the age of 50, Ernie met the woman of his dreams. She applied for a receptionist position at the muffler shop he co-owns with his brother. They dated for six months, decided to test their relationship on a four-day vacation in Reno, Nevada, and by the second day decided to wed. Her name was, and still is, I presume, Linda, maiden name Truesdale. She has red hair, brown eyes, and is covered in freckles. I took note of this fact because redheads are easy to follow. Depending on Ernie's financial situation, I thought I just might cut him a break. This was Ernie's first marriage and he wanted it to work. But women had always been a mystery to Ernie, and so he tried to solve the mystery through cheap self-help books. When I first met with Ernie, well, the second time, he was reading a battered paperback titled Women, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know and More. He had recently finished a chapter on secrets and realized that his wife had a few. I asked for the hard facts first, not wanting to be influenced by Ernie's interpretations. To begin with, his wife would often disappear for hours at a time and use a flimsy excuse for her absence. Ernie never pressed her on this issue because he didn't want her to feel smothered. 
Then there were the expensive items of clothing and perfume that would show up after these unexplained excursions, with no dent on their mutual credit card. The money had to come from somewhere. Those hours that passed without him, she had to be doing something. Ernie had a feeling he didn't like in the pit of his stomach, but he told himself that he was imagining things. It wasn't until last weekend, when he cleaned out the garage and found a shoebox full of $3,000 in cash, that he decided to look at the matter more closely. I then asked Ernie what he thought might be going on, and he handed me a handwritten sheet of paper that listed, in descending order of preference, his list of possibilities. A. Nothing's going on. Everything has a simple explanation. B. Linda has a shoplifting problem. C. Linda is having an affair with a man who gives her money and gifts. D. Linda is having an affair, and she has a shoplifting problem. While I was no expert on Linda, I decided that Ernie should leave with at least a shred of hope. I told him that option D was extremely unlikely. Then I asked him a question my mother always asks whenever we consider taking on a domestic case. Ernie, if we do find out that your wife is having an affair, what will you do? Ernie consulted his shoes for the answer. We'd have to go to marriage counseling, I guess. His reaction was calm, which is what I was looking for. You can't predict human behavior, but I would have bet a week's wages on Ernie being a peaceful man. So I decided to take the case. Then we talked money. Ernie didn't have much of it, so it was a short conversation. I would be on call for the next time his wife planned an excursion. I cut my usual rate by half, which is 75% less than what my parents would charge for the same work. Ernie was getting a deal, but the job seemed easy enough. It didn't mean anything to me. I'll tell you that right now, so don't get any ideas. There was no significance in me doing a favor for a friend of Milo's. A few hours of watching a redhead didn't mean I was back in the game. That's what I told myself, at least. To subscribe to The Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.